Happy New Year, Mosaic Church. We are so glad you're here to worship with us this morning. If you're new to Mosaic, as a church, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like more information about our vision, or you want to get connected to the life of our church through community groups, or if you'd like to find an opportunity to serve, you can text the word Mosaic to 97000 and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. Today is our last abbreviated family service of the holiday season, and we will return to having full-length services with Kids Ministry for Ages, birth through fifth grade, next week. And now, as we get ready to worship through singing, we just want to remind you that we love special times of having our kids with us in service. Little ones are welcome to color, and we encourage you to quietly explain the different parts of the service to older ones as needed. Also, if babies get fussy, we have a nursing mother's room just outside the lobby for your convenience. Again, we're glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. All right. Well, uh, happy new year for like the fourth or fifth time. <laughs> glad to be here with you. If I have not met you, but like David, I'm pretty sure I've met everyone. I'm Tad Anderson, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. And uh, hey, today is our last holiday service. We'll go back to uh, normal service length and full uh, kids ministry next Sunday, and we'll begin our first sermon series of the year next Sunday titled, What Now? Uh, it'll be not, not because I didn't have an idea of what to preach on, and I'm just trying to figure that out, but uh, it'll actually be focused on the mission of Jesus's church, pulling from several passages in the book of Acts. So I hope you'll plan to join us uh, for that. Kind of a, a, we like to start with a vision series every year and kind of just remind uh, where we're going for uh, the year. So we'll be doing that through that series. Uh, also, really exciting. Our leadership has been uh, planning for about six months to launch some more formal adult discipleship environments that are gender specific. And so we'll do that later on this month. Our men's and women's ministries uh, will be held on alternating Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. here at the church building. Men uh, will be meeting on the first and third Wednesday, women on the second and fourth and they will have a, uh, essentially the format will have a 20 to 30 minute time of kind of systematic, topical teaching relevant to biblical living for men or women, respectively, followed by a time of breakout discussion, uh, drawing of application, and then prayer uh, to the ends that we discussed there. These will be uh, essentially a complementary ministry to community groups uh, to, in large part, take the place of DNA groups, if you're familiar with those, though uh, we, we still will encourage you to be forming friendships, uh, relationships within all of our discipleship ministries and uh, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, be, be grabbing uh, coffee and uh, meals and things like that together as you have the opportunity. Our plan is to launch the men's gathering on Wednesday, uh, January 18th, and the women's gathering the following Wednesday, January the 25th. So please, if you are an adult uh, who is following Jesus or who's interested in beginning to follow Jesus. Uh, and if you're hearing me right now, these ministries are for you. Okay, they're for you. I promise it will not be awkward or weird, um, but we will aim for it to be truly helpful and encouraging. So join us, uh, get to know the other men and women of Mosaic and grow together as disciples of Christ. All right, well, let's go ahead. Those are all the announcements I had this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. And we'll open the word for a few minutes together. Father, 
you are so good. And we thank you for all of the joy that we have experienced over the last month as we've celebrated Advent and the coming um, of Christ via uh, his miraculous incarnation. Now, God, as we begin a, a new year when many people are beginning to think about their lives and, and what kinds of changes they might need to make, would you cause the hearts of your people to be focused first on spiritual matters, gospel matters, the, the matter of our heart's inclination for worship, that we would work to ensure that it's directed toward Christ, as we just sang, all glory be to Christ in 2020. My goal is to encourage the men and women here today to that end, but I am ultimately not able to stir and direct heart change. Only you can do that, God, by your spirit. And so I ask that you would do that, that you would use my feeble attempt to facilitate that with a, a few moments spent considering your word in Second Chronicles, where I know that your word always does what you intend for it to do. So would you use it now for your glory? Would I decrease, Lord, and would love, trust, and commitment to Christ increase among our church body today and all throughout this year? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, well, uh, after today... The holidays are officially over. Some people are like, ah, finally. Some people are crying. But whichever side you're on, they're, they're over after today. We're going to make a hard shift back uh, into reality, so to speak. And uh, soon, if not tomorrow, we'll all be back to having to set our alarm clocks for work. And school will be quick to follow. I'm sorry to remind you. Uh, and so uh, I'd like for us to read a passage together from the Old Testament this morning that I think has relevance to our transition uh, that we're all making from December and into January. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And for a bit of context, uh, King Solomon has just finished building the temple in Jerusalem. And the people have uh, been having this massive dedication celebration. And so let me uh, read that to you. We're going to pick it up in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. It says, As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down, the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep. Uh, so, so the king and all the people dedicated uh, the house of God. The priests stood at their posts. The Levites also with the instruments from music to the Lord that uh, King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Whenever King uh, David offered praises by their ministry opposite them, the priests sounded their trumpets and all Israel stood 
And Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered the burnt offering and the fat of the peace offerings, because the bronze altar Solomon had made could not hold the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat. At that time, Solomon held the feast for seven days, and all Israel with him, a very great assembly from Labo Hamath uh, to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly, uh, for they had kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. And on the th- 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their homes, joyful and glad of heart for the prosperity that the Lord had granted to David and to Solomon and to Israel, his people. Now, while we're not uh, Old Testament Jews, and some of these terms are a little odd to us, we, we do know a thing or two about seasons like this, don't we? Um, we've just come off of the Advent season that culminated with the week of Christmas and all of its spiritually significant celebration. Uh, and when the text says that Solomon and the people held a feast for seven days, some of us feel that right now, don't we? <laughs> Many of us have been in full-on vacay mode, lounging around, eating whatever we want off of the Christmas leftovers for the past week. But um, just as we see in the passage with Old Testament Israel, all seasonal celebrations must eventually come to an end. We're in that place right now on the heels of Christmas and uh, at the start of a new year, joyful As the passage says, joyful and glad of heart for the prosperity that the Lord has granted us, but for us, granted us in Christ. But you know, it's it's pretty interesting where our passage goes next. I'm not sure what you would expect for it to say next, but probably, after reading reading that, probably not an ultimatum from the Lord, right? Um, And yet, that's exactly what it is. Let's pick it back up in verse 11. It says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now... uh, I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I have covenanted with David your father, saying, you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But... If you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you. And this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, 
the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster on them. Happy New Year. Um, (laughs) I just can't help but point out here that God really knows and understands human nature, doesn't he? (laughs) God really knows and understands human nature. He knows that both in the Old Testament and in the New, now, okay, people tend to want to coast from kind of spiritual high to spiritual high. We love holy days, but the repetitive nature of daily living is not quite as exciting, is it? So the Lord just goes right ahead and says, pretty much, this is my paraphrase, listen, that, that was a great celebration you guys just had, and I, I really like the temple, but make sure not to leave your devotion at the temple. While the worship is always great during celebratory seasons, worship should not be constrained to the celebratory seasons. It needs to continue on after your feast days. And so while a warning may not be what we would expect to hear from the Lord after this huge celebratory season of worship that was dedicated fully to him, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And I'm willing to bet that it's, it's worthwhile for, for even us to consider God's words to Solomon and to the people after their dedication of the new temple. Because I'm willing to bet that for some of us, it's not just our work and our eating rhythms that have been on a hiatus for the past week or so, but our spiritual rhythms as well. Sure, we've had some extra services and and parties, and and those of us with kids have spent some special time reading and discussing Jesus' birth narrative with them. But with a lot of unusual logistical things like travel and family coming in and out of town, perhaps things like daily Bible reading and prayer in the mornings have been a little spotty, or even even maybe just a little more reliant on devotional readings as opposed to uh, getting down and doing our own work in the Word. Full transparency, I, I have not been immune to this struggle, so I'm not pointing fingers here. If I was, there'd be four pointed back at me. This is just part of uh, what inevitably happens when regular schedules go out the window, right? And so I I think something that the Lord is implying in 2 Chronicles 7 that we should consider is that seasonal holy days are a great joy, but God's people are prone to forget what everyday faithfulness looks like when they're over, right? In fact, one of the most ironic themes of Scripture that that I've seen from start to finish Uh, is how God is always providing for his people, protecting his people, saving his people, and yet simultaneously how his people forget what he has done for them. (laughs) Right? Have you seen that? I I mean, in in retrospect, there, 
there are times that it's, it's almost comical. Perhaps one of the most blatant is the, the golden calf scenario when God rescues his people out of Egypt. He does miracle after miracle after miracle, right? He single-handedly crushes the Egyptian economy and their military. And then when the, the Israelites are, are finally free from Egyptian slavery and they're, they're moving towards the land that, that God is going to provide for them, they, they make a pit stop, right? Do you know this story? They make a pit stop for God to communicate his law to them through Moses. And so Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to write it all down, like Fred Flintstone style with the, the tablets, the rock. I don't know how he did that, but anyway... God helped him. So um, anyway, I don't know why I got off on that. Uh, but then the people, while Moses is up on the mountain, the, the, the people go and grab Moses's brother, Aaron, and they say, hey, you, make us some new gods who will lead us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Now, to, to grasp the, the full absurdity of this, just a few chapters prior, they had fearfully sworn their total allegiance to God and said they would obey everything that he commanded them, and they asked that Moses would be their mediator, who would communicate everything to them on behalf of God. And then you turn the page, and they're like, ah, I mean, the plagues were cool and all, and... Uh, Parting of the Red Sea, I mean, we've never seen anything like that before. But let's try another God. Maybe we could just make a golden cow, and we could worship that. And that could be our, our, our new God. And, and this isn't even like that one time that God's people foolishly forgot what he had done for them. The golden calf is one of the most memorable instances. But this becomes a, a recurring theme for God's people. This kind of thing, it becomes so frequent, it's hardly possible to remember every single occurrence that God's people forget what he has done for them. And so God is often exhorting his people not to forget. Deuteronomy 4.9, God says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. It, it may seem crazy, but as a result of the fall and our, our relentlessly sinful hearts, we too are prone to forget the very most important things in our lives, even the gospel. We forget, maybe not intellectually, but virtually in the way that we live. Pastor and author Paul Tripp, he so eloquently states how this tends to work. And I think he even touches specifically on how this can happen as we come off the holidays. He says, when the amazing realities of the gospel quit commanding your attention, your awe and your worship, other things in your life will capture your attention instead. When you quit celebrating grace, you begin to forget how much you need grace. And when you forget how much you need grace, you quit seeking the rescue and strength that only grace can give. This means you begin to see yourself as more righteous, strong, and wise than you actually are. And in so doing, you set yourself up for trouble. 
Now, there's no way for me to get into all of the complexities of 2 Chronicles chapter 7 in our shortened time together today, but God's words to Solomon are pretty clear. After the celebration is over, God's people are either going to continue in their worship of him in their day-to-day, or they're going to get back into the rhythms of life and they're going to forget him and even begin to worship other gods instead of the one true God. And as Paul Tripp puts it, get themselves into trouble, right? And God even lays out the consequences of of each path. If if they continue to worship him, then he will hear their prayers and and be an ever-present help in their times of need. But if they forget, then he will allow them to reap the negative fruit of their forgetfulness in order for them to relearn their need for him all over again and for all who pass by to see them as a sad and pitiable example of what happens when people forget God, right? So I'm here to say this New Year's morning that a similar crossroads is before us. What a shame it would be after such a wonderful season of rejoicing together for weeks and some of the greatest gospel truths of the first coming and the incarnation of Christ for us to get back to reality, so to speak, back to the grind of work and school and and all the things and yet neglect to get back into our regular, more ordinary habits of grace, like prayer and and seeking the Lord in his word, gathering with the saints, regular fellowship and discipleship. And so as we are in the process of making our New Year's resolutions to eat better or to be more physically active, you're like, how did you know my New Year's resolutions? It's like, because we all have those New Year's resolutions anyway. Let's resolve not to coast into the new year spiritually. Let's resolve not to coast into the new year spiritually. Having been a pastor for several years now, so often I've found that there is just, there's a peculiarly somber and even dark kind of vibe to January for for many people, lots of people. And I think in part it's because we, we cram so much into December, and then many of us just sort of exhale and decide to take it easy in January in, in almost every regard. But while the miscellaneous line of our family budget might need to take a breather, your, our relationship with the Lord and with our church family should not change, right? In fact, after a few weeks of excitement around the first coming of Christ and the hope of his return, we should be more ready than ever to, to get back after it, shouldn't we? Now that said, let me um, point something out from the text that's crucial here. Because if you, if you mishear me, then the application of this sermon could really go sideways. I'm not saying for you to leave here today resolved to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and be perfect or attain spiritual perfection in 2023, to never miss a morning in the word or in prayer again, or to resolve to never struggle with 
some of those lifelong besetting temptations again. Obviously, uh, we should work to not miss days in reading and prayer, and we should be ever vigilant against temptation. But I'm not telling you to now take up the attitude of legalistic, religious perfectionism this year. That would be anti-gospel. Not only would it be anti-gospel, but it would set up unrealistic expectations for you that you would not be able to keep, that I would not be able to keep, and that would eventually cast us down into despair when we don't measure up to them. But what we see in 2 Chronicles 7 is that God's appeal to his people to stay dedicated to him actually includes an acknowledgement of their continued need to repent. Did you see that in the text? I know it was a lot. Remember, the the gospel is not a religious demand for your perfectionism. The gospel is the gracious gift of a perfect Savior who will sanctify us progressively as we grow in greater trust for him. Okay, that's, that's the gospel. Notice the word that verse... 13 began with. The word is when. God said, when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So he's implying, God is implying here that that he understands that his people will continue to sin and even face earthly consequences for their sin from time to time. God does not expect us to be perfect in a practical sense until glory, though he made us positionally perfect in Christ at the moment that we first believed, right? But what God does desire for us is to be people who don't waver and fluctuate in our faith in him so that even when, unfortunately, but inevitably we do sin, we are people who are quick to repent, and quick to get on with our striving to glorify him with our lives. And so as we enter this new year, I want to remind you that while future sin is inevitable, being on the offensive against spiritual sloth is a wise and proactive way to fight against it. Psalm 32.6 says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the great rush of, sorry, the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. So knowing that we stand at this crossroads of sorts at this moment in time, let's not try to coast off of Christmas and wait until we get into spiritual trouble to cry out to God again. <laughs> let's not do that. You're like, why would we do that? It's like, well, we just talked about how God's people do that over and over and over. So let's not do that. Instead, let's be proactive in all of the things that we know keep us close to him, close to one another, and thus active in our spiritual growth and in our opposition to sin. That's my simple appeal to us this morning. I was checking my Facebook earlier this week, and I saw a post, I think it was an ad actually, about 
uh, doing a dry January. You know what that is? You're like, no, Pastor, we don't know what that is. <laughs> anyway, first of all, I'm not a teetotaler doctrinally, but um, if, if you drink enough that you feel the need to take a month off totally, you might should just stop drinking altogether. I don't know. That's, that's a conversation for another day. But um, as I thought about just the term dry January, I thought, you know, in a spiritual sense, a dry January is the last thing that I want to have. I don't know about you, but I don't want to have a January that feels dull and dark and dry. And like all my hope and spiritual fervor was left back in December somewhere. (laughs) I don't want to be a Christian who has a massive celebration about the first coming of Christ, but who then forgets that Christ is going to come again soon or very soon. And I don't want to forget that I have worship to be giving him and I have obedience to him to be submitting myself to in the meantime. I certainly don't want myself or our church to become a case study to people after us about what it looks like to cast off the Lord and be cast off by him because we forgot about our continual need for him and his grace. But instead, let's strive to be people who humble themselves, pray, seek the Lord, and turn away from sin in 2023. (laughs) That's my appeal. Our leadership has a lot of things planned to this end, beginning in January, from community groups and men's and women's ministry starting up to a night of worship. And uh, we're hopefully going to have a churchwide night of worship together, a time of fasting and prayer. Uh, There's a year-long Bible reading plan that we've already put out on our Facebook and the app if you're interested in following along with that. Uh, A lot of vision and outreach stuff that's that's coming up later this year. And so here's the thing. I, I know that we can't do all of that right now, this morning, in this Service, but we can resolve not to coast spiritually off of Christmas, but instead to strive as we enter the new year to be a church who humbles themselves before the Lord, knowing that all of the good that we saw in 2022 was not of ourselves, but from Him. We can be a church who seeks Him in His Word daily and prays for ourselves and for one another and the advancement of His kingdom through us as the body of Christ. And we can be a church who knows that we're not yet perfect as He is perfect. And so we have sin to confess and repent of continually as we grow more into the image of Christ with each passing year. I hope you'll make that resolution with me. If so, while the year 2020 taught me that um, I have zero idea what's coming (laughs) in a new year, I think that we can still know that whatever, as Josh actually just said, I feel like Josh and I preached the same sermon, I don't know. (laughs) We can know that whatever comes our way, we can be faithful to honor the Lord through it together. Let's pray. Father, God, you are so incredibly gracious to us, and we um, have so enjoyed 
the celebration of Advent over the last month. My simple prayer now for myself and uh, for the men and women who are here this morning and for the rest of the men and women who call themselves Mosaic Church is that we would not forget, God, all of your grace and all of your goodness that we have just celebrated for Christmas. As crazy as that sounds, as silly as that sounds, on New Year's Day, as much as it might rise up in us, in our hearts, to say, I would never do that. Who would do that? Father, you know better than we know. It's all too common for us to forget you right after you have done amazing and gracious things for us. God, after you've done the greatest thing for us, after you sent your son to live the perfect life, die the atoning death we deserved on the cross and rise triumphantly, that's the greatest possible thing that you could ever do. And yet we forget in our day-to-day lives. We forget to pray to you. We forget to submit ourselves to your word. We forget to worship you. And we even wind up worshiping other gods, idols in our lives. So Father, I pray that today would just be the reminder that we need. As we get back into reality, so to speak, the grind of daily living, that we would begin pursuing you day to day again, if any of us are off. We love you, Lord. We're so thankful for Jesus, thankful for the gospel. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.